umgoblue.com by fans for fans since 1999 hello welcome to this edition of the umgoblue.com podcast this is phil callahan along with clint derringer and here we are coming off the bye week michigan is still undefeated excited looking forward to northwestern but before that clint let's go over go over our mid-season grades so would you like to start with your offensive grades yeah, we'll start uh, overall. I, I think that the offense has been very solid. You know, there's been a lot of a uh, little bit of peaks and valleys. You know, but certainly more peaks than valleys. Right? I, overall, I gave the offense a B plus, and I think uh, I think there's still some room to grow, still some things to tighten up. But uh, but overall, I'd say the offense has been better than um, expected, especially in the ground game, and uh, overall solid. Definitely good enough to win, but if uh, if we want to win uh, the toughest games on the back half of the schedule, we're going to have to tighten some things up. So I agree with that assessment. Um, so I think the big thing for me is, you know, and, and this is the struggle that I have even at midseason, right? You're undefeated. It's hard to be super critical. And yet, you know, the, the analogy I always use is if I'm looking at this as a dashboard, there are definitely some warning lights that are coming on and off. And, uh, I, you know, I, I question how we're going to move forward. So my overall grade for the offense is a B, right? And I think I'm, I'm being a little bit harsh, but I am a hard grader. You know, uh, back uh, that I'm consistent in that. I think that I, I always try to... Um, you know, as good as things may look, I always think that there's improvement or there's always room for improvement. I always try to look at it from like a, a perspective coaching uh, perspective where there's always something you, you can work on. So although we're undefeated, my overall grade for the offense is is going to be a B. Right, right. And I, I think that you're we're, we're right there on the same page. You know, it's uh, I was a little bit more optimistic overall, but um, specifically going uh on the offensive units i think we should start up front you know as always with football you should start in the trenches on the on the offensive line um i've got them graded pretty much the same as the overall offense i've got them at a b plus i've been uh we've talked you know numerous times about how uh we were keeping a sharp eye on on comparing this year's unit to um what we saw under Ed Warner and have been pleasantly surprised at how there have been fewer missed assignments and they look sharp. Um, and I've also been encouraged by the, the number of guys that are getting in there, especially on the interior. Uh, that last game against Nebraska, we saw five different players playing guard and uh, without any real noticeable drop-off in what Michigan wanted to execute on offense against a, a pretty solid defensive interior against Nebraska. So, Overall, I think there's a B plus. There is still a couple concerns. Um, I think Zach Zinter's uh, health, um, number one. You know, he's been mentioned all the way back to the preseason as as being one of the most talented offensive players that the team has. So the fact that he's had to come off the field a couple different times, he had a cast on his hand early in the season, and when he came off against Nebraska, he was limping. So it's not the same broken hand that uh that caused him problems before so i've got a little bit of concern about some injuries 
Um, the fact that you had to play five guys at guard against Nebraska is also a concern as much as it is uh, uh, encouraging about the depth. But then the, the other metric that we talk about having questions and, and kind of heard those questions echoed back to us from uh, our Q&A from our last podcast, that Michigan has not been very efficient in the red zone with punching it in. And I think you have to start – that first has to fall at the feet of the offensive line. You know, when Michigan's got the ball inside the five-yard line, I think we need to uh, need to toughen up a little bit and be able to really drive the opposing defensive line off the ball um, a little bit more cleanly and, and kind of shore up some of the penetration that we've given up at the goal line and be able to turn more of those trips into touchdowns as opposed to kicking field goals. So, Clint, I also want to point out that we did our grades separately and exchanged them right before the podcast. So um, I we totally sync up on our thoughts on offensive line, which, like you said, we've been tracking this all season, and we talked about it in our, in our mailbag last week. Um, my grade was a B-plus. Your grade was a B-plus. The nagging concern I have is red zone. Right. There's just been a few times where if you have the dominant offensive line that I feel like we we have, I want to believe we have. There's just been a few times where we've gotten stymied in the red zone, like like first and goal, you know, just a few yards to go. And I think you need to be able to punch that in. Um, It was amazing against Nebraska that that the team had to cycle so many people through at guard. And really, there was no noticeable drop off. I, I think that's amazing. Now, on one hand, you can say, well, you wish one guy would have kind of grabbed hold of the opportunity, but, you know, you don't know if somebody was dinged up. We, we don't know exactly what the situation was. But, again, overall, um, you know, you know, as they say, everything starts up front on the offensive line and the defensive line and on the offensive side of the ball. Um, you know, I, I, I go with the B-plus, and, and I, I echo uh, your thoughts. Yeah, and I, I think after the the offensive line, the next position that you would you'd want to talk about on offense is the quarterback. Um, for me, I've rated the the quarterback specifically, you know, heavily weighted on on what we've seen from Kate McNamara, but also, um, you know, a, a dash of JJ uh, McCarthy in there. I gave the quarterbacks a B minus, you know, better than average, but uh, really close to average. So the some things that have been really strong number one most importantly limiting turnovers you know only two interceptions one really you know in garbage time from alan bowman but just the one big interception from Cade mcnamara and um you know trying to trying to make sure that we're getting into the correct plays and and making good pre-snap reads has been very very strong and the way that they've been able to get J.J. McCarthy meaningful snaps in early in games, even when the the games are competitive, I think is a a huge improvement this year over years past where um, I feel much more uh, comfortable um, if and when Cade McNamara has to exit a game for one reason or another that J.J. McCarthy is is that much more prepared than some of the backups that we've seen in the past. Um, For me, a couple of the question marks – that we're still seeing from the quarterback um, inconsistency with his accuracy. Um, he he doesn't always hit the short throws uh, as precisely as we'd want to see um, to give 
their receivers, you know, full speed on their, uh, you know, running after the catch. Uh, we've seen it sometimes. I, I think of those uh, inside routes against Rutgers in the first half when Cade looked really sharp before he got hit. Um, he really hit those dig routes in stride, and Sane was still, and um, I think it was Roman Wilson, you know, really got to take off and show their speed, catch those at full speed. And, and ever since uh, that point, I, he just has not been quite as accurate on the uh, in the intermediate throws. And I think a lot of this stuff comes back to his mechanics. I, I think his feet get a little bit happy um, and, and wiggle around on him a little bit. He's not always, you know, structurally sound. Um, he's off rhythm. So I think of that is, is very coachable and can be improved. Um, but for right now, you know, we need to see those things improve. And I think that's one of the greatest opportunities for improvement on the offense is a little bit more consistency from the quarterback, especially Cade and his, uh, his throwing mechanics. So I was a, a slightly more generous than you were. Um, I gave the position a, a straight B and you were at a B minus. Again, we're, we're pretty much in sync. I think my biggest question, you know, I, I look at the stats and you have Cade, you know, just being, you know, 14 yards shy of 1,000 yards on the season, five touchdowns, throwing, you know, completing passes just over 60%. But I, I keep coming back to that he's been good, not great. JJ's been interesting, right? So, again, I have confidence if Cade has to go out, I like that Harbaugh is giving J.J. snaps. I think that um, he definitely can, um, you know, run the offense, right? He definitely brings something. And I think for, you know, the challenge for Cade is to squash that doubt, right? To basically, because, again, there's a lot, you know, he, he runs the offense. He's led the team to be undefeated. You would think that everything would be great. And yet I still have this nagging question about if the game turned into a situation where Michigan had to throw deep to get back in the game. Um, you know, Cade has been just a touch inaccurate, right? And and not, you know, again, you mentioned how he only had one interception. He's been very efficient, but not dominant. So I think the question for Cade you know, in in the tail end of the season is, can you squash the doubt and continue to be successful at uh, at the controls of the offense? And um, again, Harbaugh has said that JJ is going to be is going to get reps, so he's definitely he's going to continue to be prepared. And um, again, uh, it's great to be undefeated, but you know, I still have I still have a shadow of a doubt about Kate, right? And I think it'll be up to him over the next couple games. You know, we have Northwestern coming up, and then you have a huge challenge against Michigan State. And um, it, it, it'll be up to him to kind of squash that doubt and really to to seize hold of the position that, that you know, he he's the incumbent right now. He has the opportunity to solidify that or for there to continue to be doubt among the fan base. Yeah, I, I agree with that. and. Staying in the backfield, I think moving from from the quarterback to what's been the high point for me for the offense has been the the running backs. I think um, can't say enough good things about any one of the individual players, and then also 
there's some synergy there where I, I think the whole is is greater than the sum of the parts. So the the depth obviously right now looks great. You've got uh, kind of one A and one B with Hassan Haskins and Blake Corum, um, five star true freshman. Um, Donovan Edwards is uh, is the third back and similar to JJ McCarthy, getting meaningful snaps early in games, um, ready to go from a preparation standpoint, uh, if and when he's called upon. Um, I like that they have put uh, Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards out into the slot in the passing game. I'd like to see more of that. I'd like to see um, kind of stretching defenses more horizontally with the running backs, uh, but but we have seen it. I think it's a, it's a little bit underutilized, but uh, we have at least seen that. So I don't have a whole lot of negative feedback um and what we've seen from the running backs uh my favorite thing you know that we've we've touched on a few times uh when we came up with uh, the nickname for those guys boom and zoom is just the, the physical running for hassan haskins always seems like he's adding two or three yards to every run right if it's blocked for four he gets seven uh if it's blocked for one he gets five you know and those hidden yards are, are just so so valuable especially in early downs. And then when the defense is really kind of uh, really bringing their, their, their physical, um, you know, trying to bring all of the weight, <laughs> really bring their hips with them and try to tackle Hassan Haskins. Oh, by the way, that's, uh, that's Blake Corum in there now. And he's, he's around the corner and, you know, running 30 yards untouched. So those guys really feed off of each other. It's been, it's been really fun to watch. And certainly running backs are the high point right now for me on the offensive side. Yeah. And again, I, I emphasize we, we graded separately, right? But we both graded them a straight A. You know, you have Blake Corum who's gained over, you know, gained 610 yards. You have Hassan Hoskins who's gained 492. And they're, they both have eight touchdowns. And again, you got Boom and Zoom and they are – you know, the first couple games of the season, it seemed like Blake Corum was going to be the, the dominant star. And he's continued to be very good. But the last couple games, Hassan Haskins has jumped, has stepped up. So really, it, it they both bring different things. And Michigan is so uh, fortunate to have both of these guys in the backfield. And, you know, they have definitely benefited from the offensive line. I think there's... Um, you know, there's some synergy there to throw up, uh, to throw in a million dollar word. You have, you know, the offensive line makes the running backs look good. The running backs make the offensive line look good. They're both really good. And I think that, you know, prior to the season, when we heard that Michigan was going to, you know, be committed to running the ball, I kind of rolled my eyes and said, well, we'll see. Uh, there's no doubt that, that they have followed through on that commitment and you can also understand, you know, there were some questions when uh, some of the transfers happened about what, how that was going to impact the running game. And now you can understand why some of the transfers happened, right? That between Blake Corum and Hassan Haskins, and, and then you got Donovan Edwards, the talented freshman, uh, the running back room is, is quite full of talent right now. So definitely straight A there. Um, so next position group up is the wide receivers. And uh, again, you know, we're, we're pretty much in lockstep. I graded them as a C. And again, my big question is 
who is the dominant wide receiver, right? And I think it would have been Ronnie Bell. Of course, he was lost, you know, on that that horrible injury, um, you know, early in the season. But somebody needs to step up, right? Like, like, and not just one person, but right now, I don't know who the go-to receiver is. And one of the things that, you know, jumped out to me is, you know, when you look at um, who the leading receiver, right? It's Cornelius Johnson with 14. Well, you know, if you go down, um, Blake Corum also has received 14 passes. And obviously in different yardage situations, but it's just, you look at it and I really feel that, um, you know, Michigan is going to need somebody to emerge at this position to be a consistent big play. Um, option. And part of that may be, you know, we talked about the accuracy issues that Cade McNamara was having. But again, it, there's also been a few times where, you know, receivers were close enough, right? I'm a big believer if it if it hits you in the hands, you should catch it. And we definitely could, could see a little bit more, um, a, a, a little more big play um, uh, potential from the, from the wideouts on this team. Yeah, you mentioned we were, were pretty close here. I, I was a little bit more optimistic on the wide receivers. I, I added a plus on there. I gave them a C plus. I think uh, one positive thing that uh, that hasn't gotten much talk is that uh, the wide receivers have been successful in creating some big plays on double moves um, to where it's either their stutter and go or an out and up or different, uh, you know, different plays, big plays that are kind of uh, built on, on what they've done previously in the game and, and what that shows or, or what that kind of, uh, what we can infer from that is that they're running really sharp routes and that the, uh, the out and ups and the stutter and go um, patterns that they're running, you know, they're running them in a similar fashion to where the cornerbacks, the, the defensive backs are having a hard time uh, differentiating whether it's a short route or a long route. And, and that's a, a testament to the route running of those receivers. And, of course, Josh Gaddis is the offensive coordinator, but also the, the wide receivers coach. They've also, outside, I think a, a, a huge benefit to the running game um, has been how the wide receivers are blocking. Uh, you know, that's how you turn 10- and 15-yard runs into 30- and 60- and 70-yard runs is when those wide receivers really show – and enthusiasm for being physical and blocking all the way down the field, and we've seen that. Um, I echo a lot of the, the question marks uh, with the receivers. We do need to see a couple more. Um, a couple more. Somebody needs to seize their opportunities a little bit more clearly. I would say um, the injuries have been a problem. I think uh, it would be my assumption that Cade McNamara, after being named the starter, put a lot of time and work in with his number one receiver, Ronnie Bell, losing him. Obviously we knew was, uh, was going to create a disruption. And then just as uh, I think Roman Wilson started to step into kind of a comfort zone uh, in the Rutgers game and then into the Wisconsin game. And then he didn't play at all in Nebraska. So there's a little bit of a timing mismatch there. And I think again, that the, silver lining to that cloud is that it's coachable and comes with with repetition and just putting more work in with those guys and uh, i think we'll see that the quarterbacks get uh closer to in sync with uh those guys on the outside in the second half of the season 
One thing I want to emphasize as a point you mentioned, the blocking by the wide receivers has been really, 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 really great. And, you know, I've gone through and, and broken down some of the plays, uh, you know, in our in our playbook segment that I do once a week. And watching on some of the really big plays that Michigan has to see how disciplined the wideouts are in, in blocking. And, again, it's, it's one of the things, as Harbaugh has been here, they have mentioned at, you know, from season to season how important blocking is for wide receivers. You can really see it this year. And, again, it, that takes a lot of commitment. It's not the most glamorous thing for a wide receiver to do, but it's really been the difference in springing some of these long runs that Michigan has been able to get this year. So, definitely, I, I wanted to mention that, and, and you mentioned it. I, I want to echo that. So um, the next position group up is the tight ends, and I gave them a B. I thought it's been really solid um, and good. So, um, Clint, what were your thoughts on how the tight ends have looked so far? I threw a little bit of extra uh, on those guys. I gave them a B plus. I, I've been. I think we're in a good place uh, in terms of depth and size and athleticism uh, to create mismatches against most teams. We saw um, all you know. Eric All and uh, Schumacher make uh, make big plays against Nebraska in key spots on third down conversions. Um, so they're starting to to emerge as a real threat in the offense, and that's a, a huge positive uh, for for the offense as a whole. And the only thing right now that that's holding them back a little bit is uh, they've missed a couple assignments in space uh, in blocking in the run game and especially against some of the better linebackers that uh, Michigan's come up against um, where we saw some, some problems that needed fixing uh, against Wisconsin. I think the, those guys really bounced back and blocked much better in the, uh, in the next game at, at Nebraska. So we'll see if they can continue to ascend and be uh, really dominant blockers inside the box against those linebackers. Um, we're going to see some more opportunities for those guys to kind of be lead blockers, similar to what a fullback would be in a normal offense. I think uh, Gaddis is going to rely on those guys, so they have to be really, really solid blockers in space, and uh, that's what would push them from a B-plus up, uh, up to the A range, in my mind. So, overall, offense looking good. Some places where there are opportunities for players to step up. And uh, again, it's it's good to be six and zero. So now we turn to the defense. So I'm going to start up front on uh, the defensive line, and I give this group a straight A. And again, I, I describe them as just beastly. Aiden Hutchinson is just just a, a man out there, just a dominant player. Um, you know, it, in breaking film down, he looks like an NFL player playing collegiate ball right now. I can't say enough good things about him. And uh, again, just just dominant. And you hope that, you know, he can keep it up not only for Michigan, the team, but also for himself as uh, that he can finish this season strong and, and go on to uh, to an amazing pro career. Um, so uh, what were your thoughts on the defensive line? So uh, up front, I, I split those guys interior and edge guys. So uh, for the the interior guys, the D tackles, I gave them an A minus. I think they've been really, really good. It's been encouraging to see how many guys are rotating in there. The depth and the versatility that you've got, 
guys like Mike Morris and Chris Jenkins um, really had very low or no expectations for those guys to step up and be contributors. And they've really been great. And the, the scheme is really asking those guys to play a gap and a half, um, which means that they're the hardest job in the, in kind of an odd front defense is, is what we call two gapping where you basically have to get your hands on an offensive lineman and kind of bench press him out in front of you and be able to, cover the gap to your left and to your right, right? You're, you're responsible for two gaps. And what Michigan's doing right now is kind of a gap and a half. So they kind of put their body in a gap. Let's say that, you know, my hands are on the lineman in front of me and my body is in the gap to the, to my left, you know, my, my, my butt's kind of sticking over there into the gap that's to my left of that guy. And I can help in the next gap over to the right. So I'm using my body to plug the gap that I'm responsible for, but I'm using my hands and and shedding that blocker when it goes to one half gap over to to the right there. So that's a really, really difficult physical uh, requirement for those guys up front. And and the fact that they've been successful is, is really encouraging and and they're just going to get better. You know, they're they're only going to get better with repetition and uh, more creativity from from the staff. And on the outside, I mean, obviously, everything you said about Aiden Hutchinson is 100% you know, true. He's been absolutely dominant. I think uh, seeing David Ojabo emerge and also a major pass rush threat, similar to Josh Uche from a couple of years ago. And I really like the way that he attacks the football. David Ojabo clearly has uh has trying to strip the football away from the quarterback on his mind when when he's trying to beat that tackle so that's been really great the only concern that i would say right now is uh for me is a little bit of wondering once you're past hutchinson and ojabo um some other guys have been on there on the outside you know we've seen taylor upshaw and jalen harrell and a couple of those guys, but they're not getting the same number of snaps, and there's a clear drop off when they're in there. So hopefully, those guys can can also take a step forward here and, and shore up some of the depth up front. So uh, another position that you split up. Uh, next up are the linebackers, and uh, the bit thing that I know looking at the linebacker position is the drop off when Josh Ross was out of the game right when he was injured and um the uh the rest of the guys really learned a lot under fire but i question what will happen if uh if if josh ends up going out again i want to believe that the team has uh is growing some depth right that they are that that adversity that happened when he was out um spurred some growth but that's that's a lingering question for me. And that middle of the defense is so important. And um, so that's one of the questions I have when I'm looking at the, the inside linebacker position. Yeah, a hundred percent. That's the, the, probably the scariest question mark for this defense is the, the strength of the center of the defense, especially um, if they sustain any type of injury at the linebacker position. So, um, Josh Ross and his experience have been invaluable, really, in, in making calls for the defense, aligning the front, and uh, and all three of the guys that are getting the majority of the snaps right now, Josh Ross and Nakai Hill-Green and Junior Colson, 
are really doing a great job of firing quickly, making quick decisions and attacking downhill, really attacking their gaps in the run game, um, where they've been exposed a little bit. And I think all three of them, uh, to different degrees, have have shown some weakness here is is when they make those quick decisions against the run game, they are they're certainly susceptible to play action passes and, and have trouble recovering and getting into uh, their pass drops um, in coverage. So the better offenses that we play are going to uh, attack that weakness. Certainly we're going to see those linebackers are going to give up some plays. We just have to try to minimize the damage and uh, hope that they continue to ascend and get better. And eventually they'll be able to make a, a couple big plays, maybe get their hand on, on a couple footballs and, and tip the ball in the air, maybe create a turnover or two. So they just have to do a better job of recognizing their keys and, and making sure that they recognize a pass a little bit sooner when possible. But overall, they've been solid. Um, and we just hope that the, the issue with depth doesn't become an Achilles heel for this team. So next up is the cornerback position. There were a lot of questions prior to the season on how this group was going to respond. And, I, you know, I give them a B. I think it's been, uh, you know, we definitely had some some scary situations, you know, and I think about the back half of the Rutgers game, the back half of the Nebraska game. But in both instances, and uh, specifically Nebraska, Michigan had a very shaky third quarter defensively. But when I broke down the tape, there were so many things going wrong. They were being attacked so many different ways that I don't know if I would necessarily focus on, on the cornerbacks. Um, I, so I, I, I may be a little more soft on them grade-wise. I, I graded them out as a B, but it, for me it's a shaky B, right? Like I know, um, you know, one of the things I always – try to think about is you know they call it self-scouting right if I was self-scouting Michigan right now the defense I I still think I would go at the quarterbacks right I still think that is where um, there's some opportunities so even though I I give them a a grade of a B like I said it's kind of a shaky B for me Uh, yeah I think I think I would agree that I haven't seen anybody really exploit the the cornerbacks to for me to give them any any type of negative grade or or down into the C range like I did with the linebackers but uh, the, the issues are certainly there and where we see it at the corner position is where they are looking when they're in uh, their different coverages right so there's a lot of nuance and and how guys get coached in coverage changes based on you know every position coach or every coordinator um, so it's tough just watching film to, to understand exactly what the keys are or where, where the mistake may have happened. But we've seen just a handful of times where uh, a cornerback potentially um, doesn't have their eyes, you know, where they need to be, uh, especially in zone coverage. And then they, your body kind of floats to where you're looking, right? I think I've explained it in the past. Like if you're riding a bike and you're looking off to your left, right? The bike is going to veer to the left. And I think cornerbacks are like that when they're in their back pedal or when they're moving, right? Wherever their eyes are, you're going to kind of float or, or, or gravitate towards wh- where you're looking. And that's why eye discipline is so important. And then avoiding 
the panic when when they do get out of phase in their coverage. Um, we've still seen a couple examples where they just they panic and, and grab a guy or, or 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 hold on a little bit too long, right? When they're hand fighting w- with a receiver and get hit for pass interference, and that's the biggest improvement from 2020 to 21 is that they are much better uh, at avoiding getting those pass interference calls but we haven't seen the best offenses that we're going to see yet this year. So they really have to get much sharper with their eye discipline and, and avoid panicking and drawing those pass interference penalties. Cause that automatic first down, regardless of what you've done to that point, it, it's, it's a backbreaker. It's almost like a turnover when, when you, you get a third down stop on an incomplete pass and, and then the flag comes in and, and gives them an automatic first down. So, um, Really, really happy with the amount of improvement from the same two guys that were really exploited last year. Have not been exploited to the same degree this year, but still a a couple fundamental foundational things that that we see some sloppiness and some room for growth. And I think I expect those guys to step up and make a couple more plays and maybe actually uh, come down with a couple of those interceptions that have been slipping through their fingers to this point. So next position up is the safeties. I graded them out as a B. Again, uh, a little bit low. Uh, you were a little bit more enthusiastic than uh, than I was. Um, what are your thoughts on the safety play so far? I Again, I was a little bit more optimistic about the safeties. I think the fact that R.J. Moten is, is off of the radar is really a tremendous compliment to what he's doing as a, as a redshirt freshman in there playing playing deep safety. So um, the fact that he is has been in the right place more times than not, has not been exploited, certainly over the top on any type of deep passes, um, means that he's extremely solid. And that's what you need from your deep coverage safety, first and foremost. And what that does, what his, him being solid, what that does for this defense is it allows Dax Hill – to play that nickel position on the slot and, and be a third cornerback. And really, Dax Hill is the main reason that those cornerbacks kind of stabilizes that shaky B that you were talking about because is you know where we've seen some question marks on the outside, Dax Hill has really, really been tremendous one-on-one coverage uh, when he's been given that opportunity. And the only reason he has the opportunity to excel as that nickel corner is because redshirt freshman R.J. Moten has stepped in and been able to play that deep safety role. Um, I think you pair that with uh, the experience that Brad Hawkins brings, um, the tackling for all of the defensive backs, corners, and safeties has been great. Um, Really the main thing that gives me some pause with the safeties is I think Hawkins sometimes gets caught cheating up into run support and, and and has gotten beat over the top. Um, I think specifically the uh, right before halftime against Wisconsin, where Dax Hill was was in coverage uh, on kind of a slot fade or a seam route, but really that ball that ball went over Brad Hawkins' head, and he was cheating up against the run because Wisconsin had just run the ball for nine yards, and uh, we've seen that a, a handful of times. So. Again, it's tough for me to know exactly what everybody's assignment is or what they're being coached to do. But, um, you know, in a two-minute drill situation, I I don't really like seeing the ball go over my safety's head. So I, as long as he doesn't get burned 
in a big spot, cheating up into run support and the ball going over his head, then we'll be fine. Those guys have been quietly, quietly, maybe still underrated as a unit. Uh, I gave him a B plus. And definitely quiet is good, right? And I think mm-hmm. where I came down on grades was I just don't know if they've been tested yet. That's kind of like a, a mm-hmm. B slash incomplete because I don't know if there's enough data. And, uh, you know, you know, to look past Northwestern, I really think they're going to be tested against Michigan State. I really think, you know, if, if there's any game that I could have pulled into these first six games that I think would have given us more definitive data, it, it's that Michigan State game. Mm-hmm. Um, and not just because they're undefeated. Um, you know, their offense has kind of dropped off a little the last couple games, but they do seem to attack downfield. And that's again self scouting. That's what. That's how I would dial it up, right? I, I'm interested to see how that's going to play out. So mm-hmm. um, now on to special teams. Um, you know, for, well, did you did you give the defense overall a grade? I gave the defense a solid B. Yeah, I, I was a little bit higher on the uh, the A minus. I think a lot of that is probably about expectations. I expected them to struggle early in the season and, and kind of get it together as we got here towards the middle. And as I've been saying for weeks now, they're, they're, it's just so impressive to me how far ahead of schedule um, that what I expected to see. So I, I gave them an A minus. I'm glad that they're really a good tackling team. I expect them to make uh, create a few more turnovers in the second half of the season. And uh, really we got to shore up just a little bit of the linebacker coverage stuff. And uh, a few mistakes um, when when teams have messed with our alignment, um, especially when they move to uh, to unbalanced or, or some of the things that Nebraska was doing with multiple multiple receivers up on the line. So some things to clean up. But man, that that defense has been really really good. The defense has been a nice surprise. Again, where I struggle on the grading is the difficulty level, right? And man, I, I, I hope that they can continue to improve. I hope that they can show it, you know, and again, looking at this back half of the season, Michigan state, Penn state, Ohio state, they are going to have opportunities to show that they are a dominant unit. Um, I, I do have to agree though, after where we've been the last couple seasons with all the changes, both in scheme and among coaches, uh, I think you'd have to say that the defense is far ahead of schedule. All right, so uh, on to um, special teams. So we we agree a lot here too. Um, kicker, you know, we're gonna say uh, you know on the kickoffs, Jake Moody's been lights out, real real strong leg, and definitely uh, you know taking the uh, the kick return pretty much out of the game so far for for most for most teams. It's 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 been nice boring kickoffs and and we like that we don't want to see um you know especially against teams you know in the first half of the season that michigan has been expected to win one of the big equalizers are special teams so it's good to see the kick return game kind of uh kind of zeroed out for the most part yeah i can't say can't say enough good things about what we've seen from jake moody um a couple of those kickoffs we've seen actually go through the uprights been very accurate on extra points and, and field goals only only 
you know, dotted line question mark for me is, is the fact that he, he puts so much English on the kick. He has kind of a, a golfer's draw on the kick. And I wonder if that is, uh, is dependent on, on position of where he's on the field. If he prefers one hash or the other, or if it matters or if wind into his face could, could exacerbate any of that stuff. But those are really small problems when you're <clears throat> talking about college kickers. So, um, I gave him a solid A. Can't can't really expect anything more out of your kicker than what Jake Moody's done. All right, on to the punt game. And again, I was a little more generous here. I I gave him a straight A just because uh, I thought that uh, you know we've had some, you know maybe this is more uh, PTSD from previous seasons, but I thought the punt game's been really solid. And uh, again, I I, I gave. Uh, um, Brad Robbins a straight A and and um, you know you gave him a B plus. What are your thoughts on on where the punt game is right now? Um, just like a lot of the other position groups that we've talked about, most of the most of the commentaries on the positive side of the ledger. Uh, what he's been able to do without with uh, stopping the ball from going into the end zone uh, for touchbacks has been really really impressive. Right, it takes a hard ninety degree sharp turn after it hits, you know, with, with whatever he's doing, putting whatever English on the ball, he can get it to kind of bounce 90 degrees to the side and go out of bounds. And that's great. His punts also have a little bit of extra hang time. So it really helps the coverage team. Uh, a lot of the uh, returners that we've gone against in the first half of the season, um, they end up having to fair catch the ball and there's no return. So, so he's been very, very good in net punting because there's very little return. Uh, against any of the teams the the main reason that i knocked him down out of the a range is because it seems like you know maybe one out of ten kind of go off the side of his foot a little bit um especially you know whatever he's doing again to put spin on the ball and make it bounce a specific way um i'm sure is, is a high degree of difficulty but every once in a while he you know he's he's punting from somewhere near midfield and we just don't get him in, don't pin those guys inside the, the 20. Um, and those are just missed opportunities. I, I look at those, those punts where you didn't get a pin the team inside the 20 yard line, right? Hypothetically, let's say that you, you get the ball to midfield and then you bog down. And if you can't pin them inside the 20, then, then you only gained 30 yards of, of field advantage, right? And, and had you known that, you definitely would have gone for it on fourth down. You know, so um, when you make the decision to punt, you're really trying to gain the full 40 yards of, of field position advantage, get them inside the 20 and, and ideally inside the 10. So um, that's it. It's a really small thing, but it seems like it comes up in the, the least opportune of time. So hopefully that uh, that straightens itself out and he uh, can maximize all the other great things that he's doing as a punter. So the the next area is the punt return and um i i graded this out as a b the the thing that kind of overshadows this is just that injury losing ronnie bell early in the season on uh, you know first game you know having him be injured and you know i'm not going to second guess harbaugh's decision to have ronnie bell out there um i think that you know again you have your best players out there where they can you know get their hands on the ball as much as possible I, but again, it's just kind of a 
whenever I see somebody back there, that's what I think of, of, of kind of a what if, you know, going back to the offense, you know, I think it's pretty clear Ronnie Bell would have been that go-to receiver. And also, you know, what would he have accomplished, you know, uh, on returns if he hadn't been injured? So, um, again, I'm, I'm going to give it a straight B. And, and again, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm a little gun shy every time I see one of our guys back there after what we saw with Ronnie Bell. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's understandable for sure. I, I gave it a B as well. I think that having the threat of, uh, of an explosive play um, is a huge deal, right? Making that punter aware uh, that the, the ball could come back and, and, and score a touchdown on any one of those punts is a big deal. Making the other team prepare for that and put pressure on their coverage team is a big deal. Uh, the main reason I knocked it down out of the A range is because we've seen some problems catching the ball in the air. You know, most of that having to do with reading the ball in the air and, and getting to the spot as opposed to, you know, not being able to actually catch it. Uh, I think the guys that have been back there since Ronnie Bell got hurt uh, clearly are great athletes, have very good hands, um, but it takes a lot of repetition and practice to, to get a good read on the ball uh, real quickly off of the foot and, and get to the spot and uh, and then make a, a snap decision on whether you should fair catch or should you be, um, you know, returning it and, and remembering everything that you've been coached on. So I think they can tighten that up. Certainly, it's a high-risk, high-reward position, um, but those mistakes in reading the ball can turn into really just back-breaking turnovers. So you have to be able to make good decisions back there. And um, when they do make good decisions, uh, especially A.J. Henning, he's a, he's a threat to take it back to the house anytime that uh, the ball goes up in the air. So hopefully he'll sharpen that up continue to ascend and and i think that we will see him uh, eventually hit the uh, hit the end zone here on a punt return in the second half of the season i think that the punt return position is the biggest opportunity on this team right now the biggest area that someone can make a name for themselves and i think if michigan is going to be successful in this tail end of the season they're going to need big plays out of that, out of that punt return. So it's definitely an area I'm going to be watching. Um, and, you know, I think, um, you know, kick return, I, I grade him a, but the thing that I think we're going to see on kick return is, you know, again, looking at the teams Michigan will be facing, they're not going to get a lot of opportunities on kick returns. Punt return is really where I think you're going to see the most reps. Um, so I, I, you know, I just think that the punt return, that's why I kind of come back to the punt return being the biggest opportunity for someone to step up kick return. Again, I graded as an a, and, um, um, how do you feel about it? I, I had it as an a minus. You have the same kind of explosive big play threat back there. Uh, not only is AJ Henning back there, but also Blake Corum, you know, we've seen him take one 75 yards, I think early in the season already. So. Um, having that threat again puts a lot of pressure on the other team to prepare for. Uh, you, you just hope that the inexperience doesn't come up and bite you in a in a big spot. You know they they have to know when when it's you know they need to just take the fair catch and take the ball at the twenty five yard line based on game situation and, and when they should actually try to return it and uh, and make that big play. But I, I like that they're aggressive. And that well, we're constantly 
making sure that those coverage teams for the other, you know, for our opponents have to actually get in there and make a tackle against a guy like Blake Corum or, or AJ Henning. And I expect to see some, some more fireworks on that. Um, I agree with you that punt return is more likely to create the big plays in the second half, but, uh, but don't be shocked if we see Blake Corum um, get through that first level of, uh, of tacklers and uh, really send a jolt into the crowd in, in a game coming up here. Well, that would definitely be something that would be amazing to see. So um, I agreed with uh, your overall grade of an A minus. So again, I think um, you know we're we're really close in grades. Um, you know, just to to recap, my offense, my grade for the offense was a B. Yours was a B plus. My grade for the defense was a B. Yours was an A minus, and we agreed on special teams. So definitely a lot. So. Clint, who do you think has been your team MVP through the first six games? Well, I, I, I know I, I agree with, with who I think uh, you're, you're going to pick uh, on the defensive side of the ball, certainly. Um, I'm going to go with, with Hassan Haskins on the offensive side of the ball. I think his ability to, to be consistent, to take care of the ball, and to do really the, the hard work, kind of, you know, the, the bring your lunch pail type work for this run game. Um, it's huge in, in the metrics in terms of efficiency. It's huge in setting up, uh, opening up your playbook, um, you know, second and four. You can, you can run any play in the playbook on second and four as opposed to second and eight or second and ten, right? So the work that he does on early downs is just huge. And then... You know, like I said before, he's so complimentary with Blake Corum. And, you know, when you're playing safety or linebacker and you're attacking your gap, thinking that you, you know, you've had to tackle Hassan Haskins all day and really bring all of the power that you've got behind you and get ready for a physical collision in the, in the hole. And then, you know, you realize that actually it's Blake Corum back there and, uh, he's going to make you miss or, or, or beat you to the edge and, I think the work that Hassan Haskins does kind of enables a lot of the other stuff that this offense is doing well right now. So if I was to pick an MVP right now, it'd be Hassan Haskins. Well, it's hard to argue with that. You make a passionate case for him and um, I definitely appreciate what he brings to the game. Um, You know, I'm going to go with Aiden Hutchinson and to a certain extent, it's easy because he's gotten a lot of uh, accolades, a lot of press, but the reason I would go with him is we've talked about how ahead of schedule the Michigan defense is, and I think a large part of it is that when teams are scheming, they need to account for Aiden Hutchinson on every play. And I think that's the um, – while I agree Haskins has been great and Blake Corum has been great and they kind of – they definitely complement each other um, – you got to know that every offensive coordinator for every opposing team is scheming to contain Aiden Hutchinson and that every offensive line is worried about where he is on every play. And, um, you know, just we've seen him, he's such an instinctive player, right? And I think back, um, there was a play where one of the opponents was going to quick snap and he immediately recognized it, filled a gap, and, and, and blew up the play. I mean, it's it's mm-hmm. that kind of thing that you can't coach. 
he's just so good and just so dominant right now. And um, again, he, he's somebody who has to be accounted for. You know, in the last couple of seasons, Michigan has had um, guys who were supposed to be that, right? Supposed to be, and and to a certain uh, to a certain extent were right. And I think mm-hmm. of Rashawn Gary, and I think of some other guys. And not to dismiss what they were able to achieve, but Aiden Hutchinson is the real deal, and he is on practically every play. And he's just he's a joy to watch. Um, man, I I wouldn't want to have to account for him on every play. And I think that's the that's kind of the criteria I use is, you know, with a running back. Yeah, they're gonna um, they're gonna impact every play in some way, either blocking or perhaps running, but a player like Aiden Hutchinson is impacting practically every offensive snap. Um, either they're trying to get away from him or account for him. And again, he's a you know if you love football and you really get into technique and um, controlling the line and impacting every play, Aiden Hutchinson is just amazing to watch. Yeah, it, you can't can't really argue with with that pick. Honestly, I mean, he everything that you said, you know, rings true. And what he can do is is effectively for an offensive coordinator, he can he can cut off half of the field. You know, if if he's playing to the wide side of the field, and, and your philosophy has been that you're going to try to go away from Hutchinson, then you know, you just lost two thirds of the field, you know, because you're on the hash mark and you have to run your plays into the boundary because you, uh, you don't want to go to where Hutchinson is. So that's, um, it, he, he's a very powerful force outside of waving what we've seen on video and the plays that he makes. So you're, you're hundred percent right. And there's certainly, certainly a case to be made that he's the most valuable uh, player that we've seen. And, you know, another point, this is one of the things you really miss watching the game on television, okay? When you're at the game, you can watch away from where the ball is, right? You can watch the, just the chaos that, that Hutchinson causes on every play, right? And so often when you watch the game on television, they're following the ball wherever it goes, right? And you kind of lose track of what's happening away from the ball, I, I, I really admonish Michigan fans, you're seeing something really special when you are at the game. Whether you're at Michigan Stadium or you're fortunate enough to see an away game, just focus on what Aiden Hutchinson is doing for a couple of possessions, and you will just see a, a force of nature. And you talk about that he kind of takes away, uh, you know, in some cases, two-thirds of the field. Um, you know, a player who comes to mind who did that was Charles Woodson, right? And people will look back at Charles Woodson's final year at Michigan when he won the Heisman Trophy and will look and go, well, you know, he didn't have a lot of interceptions, but what you have to understand is that he basically just shut down the passing game for where he was patrolling. And I think that, um, again, obviously, you know, it may be a little much, to uh, hope that Aiden Hutchinson would would be a contender for the Heisman Trophy, but as a dominant player, he's definitely he's definitely uh, one of the top guys on the field, and he will be one of the top guys against any team that Michigan plays in this back after the season. Yeah, the last last piece that I would add on on Hutchinson is that he's also extremely valuable because he's 
clearly embraced his role as a leader in the locker room and, and setting an example in both workouts and, and, and attitude and setting the tone for, uh, for staying focused, which is, is obviously going to be huge as uh, the biggest games on the schedule are coming up here. So um, not only with what he's done from whistle to whistle, but, but what he's doing uh, in the building and at practice in the film room and having an impact on, on guys that, uh, that play the same position, guys that don't play the same position, and even guys on the other side of the ball. So can't say enough about, about the value that Hutchinson's brought. So next question. Um, what player at or slash position do you think needs to improve the most for Michigan to be successful in the back half of this season? For me, it's the linebackers. Um, I think – they they are doing well. They're doing well, but you, you you made the point that is that is absolutely accurate that Michigan has not played the best offenses on their schedule yet. I mean, the best offense that we've seen, um, pretty by far, really is Nebraska, and, and they were able to eventually exploit those those linebackers um, and start to score in bunches, and, and that's that's concerning. I think it's concerning that Rutgers was able to zero in on on those guys when uh, Josh Ross was out of the game. So um, the good news is they're, they're really young. I mean, Junior Colson was playing high school this time last year, right? And, and Kai Hill Green is, uh, is a second-year player. He's been in the program for two years, but got really almost no snaps at all last year. When uh, Even when things fell off the rails in 2020, Nakai Hill Green is not a guy that we saw getting a bunch of repetitions. So the – the silver lining to that means that they're still on the very steep part of their learning curve and uh, every rep, every practice, every game, they're getting better by big, big chunks. And, and that's good. So I expect them to be better. Um, certainly not disparaging at all uh, what they've done because they've been very solid, but in order to beat the best offenses on the back half of the schedule, um, both, ri- both rivalry games and then a road game at Penn state, we're going to need really, really good games out of uh, out of all of those linebackers: Josh Ross, Nakai Hill Green, Junior Colson, and then likely um, getting into the depth with uh, Kalel Mullings. Also, those guys have to be very, very solid and, and avoid giving up big plays. Well, I'm going to pick the quarterback position, and I'm going to come back to Cade McNamara. I think that. Um, as good as the Michigan defense has shown itself to be, I think, and, and I'm, I'm thinking especially about Ohio State right now. And I, I know we have five games before we see the Buckeyes, but I think that at against Ohio State, I don't believe, well, okay, I think it will be more likely that we will need the offense to step up. I don't think that, you know, in the final game of the regular season, I don't think we can expect to, the Michigan defense to put a cork in the Michigan in the Ohio State offense. I think that we're going to need um, some explosive accuracy from the quarterback position, and I, I think you know I, Cade's the starter. Um, you know, you and I have have kind of talked that and beaten that horse to death, but I think the way that he can uh, more firmly grasp the position is to get more accurate on the long passes. Um, you know, and again, there, there's managing and then there's 
part of managing is knowing what risks to take and sometimes knowing that you can take the risk and, and hit the, the big play. Because, again, if you're able to hit the big play, you're also going to open up the shorter game, right? And I think that we're going to need to see some growth from Cade McNamara in this in this back half of the season. So that's kind of how I see it. Um, uh, any final words on the, on the midseason grades? No, I, I think better than we would have expected. You know, you and I both had four and two um, as kind of where we thought this team would be. So to be six and oh is great. Certainly a lot of optimism. It's been fun to be at the stadium and to watch the games on TV. And uh, now it's time to, uh, you know, climb to the next tier, right? Take one step, uh, one step after another, you know, knock down the hurdles that are, uh, that are right in front of you here. And that starts with staying clean this weekend against uh, Northwestern and, and take care of the task at hand. So turning our sights to Northwestern, Michigan returns to the field. And, you know, prior to the season, I questioned if this was a great time for Michigan to have a bye week. But, you know, I I think it's perfect, right? You had uh, a chance for players to get healthy. And, um, of course, prior to the season, we didn't know um, exactly the situation at Northwestern. Um, People anticipated they'd have a down year. They're having a very down year. And while you can't overlook anyone in the Big Ten, it now appears that this is going to be an opportunity for a tune-up game. Um, and, uh, you know, so the conventional wisdom is, well, you'd like to have a bye week before a big game so you have two weeks to prepare. But what happens when you see that sometimes is you come out a little rusty. So I don't think Michigan will have to worry about that. They're going to have to bring, um, you know, their best versus Northwestern. How do you see that game shaping up, Clint? Well, Northwestern's defense um, is kind of smoke and mirrors right now, at least in terms of the metrics. I think that they've been really – the drop-off there for me has been startling, right? And it's not because uh, we expected some problems. I kind of expected Northwestern and Michigan to have a similar path back in the preseason. I thought they would struggle early because you had a new coordinator, but eventually – things will start to iron themselves out and, and, and they'll get better over time, right? In Northwestern, not only are there are there problems or, or, or wrinkles uh, in what we're seeing, but their run fits are just really, really bad. And, and what I mean is that you've got guys that are going 75 yards untouched for touchdowns on, on run plays, right, where nobody can even, you know, stop their momentum and make them cut back to the middle of the defense. So, um they had the same coordinator for a very long time. You know, I, I was writing my article today and saw that Mike Hankwitz, um, their coordinator that retired, had coached for 51 seasons. You know, not all at Northwestern, but 51 seasons of experience. And uh, that those are big shoes to fill for that defensive coordinator. And right now, um, they're just not not very strong. Uh, they've allowed 272 yards rushing in their three Big Ten games. Right. And that's, you know, that's exactly what Michigan is going to want to do coming out of the bye week is get back to get back to the fundamentals, get back to, uh, you know, giving the ball to Blake Corman, Hassan Haskins and let their offensive line kind of maul the, the Northwestern defensive line 
get a you know get out to a big lead and uh you know move on to the next week you know that's that's the whole philosophy for michigan right now and and i don't know that northwestern is going to be able to to really put up um as strong of a defense as as what we would have expected in the preseason so um if, if that's the case then we should see a pretty big victory here if michigan's a little rusty creating mistakes and beating themselves then then all of that goes out the window but if michigan stays sharp and is running the ball, you know, solid, solidly on first and second down, and uh, eventually you're going to spring some big runs because Northwestern has really had trouble avoiding big plays in the run game. So heading into the game, of course, we know Michigan is undefeated, three and zero in the division, six and zero overall. Northwestern is one and two in the conference, three and three overall. I think um, the game that jumps out to me, right? is that Nebraska trucked Northwestern 56 to 7, right? And you know, we can talk about Nebraska played Michigan tough, but they are struggling mightily this season in the standings. Um, you know, they're they're at the bottom of the Big 10 West, 1 and 4 in the conference, 3 and 5 overall, and you can talk about that maybe they should be better, but again, they trucked Northwestern. So it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, Northwestern beat Rutgers 21 to seven. Um, so, you know, it's hard to do that transitive theory. Well, this team played this team, this team played that team. But when you look at the, uh, at the schedule, um, the one game that, that Northwestern really, um, was really, uh, you know, played against a team that's hopefully equitable or, or about as good as Michigan is they lost 38 to 21 to Michigan state. Right. So it'll be interesting to see what Michigan can do. Um, prior to the season, I had uh, Michigan winning 27-17. to 17. Uh, I'm thinking now it's going to be more 45-13 Michigan. I'm expecting Michigan to come out a little rusty in the first half and then catch gear. And, um, you know, I, I think we're going to see J.J. And, and a whole range of, of running attack. Um as Michigan tunes up for the big game against the Spartans. What do you think, Clint? Yeah, in the preseason, I, I was pretty conservative with this game. I Northwestern always plays Michigan tough, it seems. Um, and, and like I said, I expected both defenses to be on a similar trajectory, cleaning up mistakes and just catching, you know, catching their, uh, their rhythm in the middle of the season here in Michigan. Like you said, is way ahead of schedule and playing very well. Northwestern is not. It, like you said, just got trucked by Nebraska and gave up over 400 yards rushing two weeks ago. Um, so I, I, I had 24-20 in the preseason, thinking maybe Michigan was going to keep a lot of things uh, in their back pocket heading into the Michigan State game and um, you know just kind of grind it out and, and take the victory. But now – with the strength of Michigan's offense being a, a, a two-headed rushing attack and Northwestern being really poor against uh, the run, I, I think Michigan's going to be able to put up a lot of points and uh, get some of those guys down the depth chart into the game uh, early in the third quarter. So I've got Michigan 41, Northwestern 10. Again, that all goes out the window if we see big mistakes or, or – um, if if the focus just isn't there for this Michigan team, but if they are really focused on the task at hand against Northwestern and, and execute a clean game, 
Um, I just don't think that Northwestern can can slow them down on the ground. And we know from the first six games that once Josh Gaddis and Jim Harbaugh um, can kind of smell blood in the water, they're they're going to keep just pounding the rock and, and and running the ball until the second stringers stop it or the third stringers stop it or somebody somebody over there better stop the run or or Michigan's going to run forever. The test here for Michigan is going to be mental discipline. This is the proverbial trap game, right? You have, let's be clear, not just the entire state, but the entire nation is looking ahead to a Michigan-Michigan State battle the first time in years, decades, that both teams potentially will be in the top ten. They'll be fighting for not only state recruits, but national recruits. And Michigan State is off this week. They can't lose, right? They The only way this week goes bad for them is if, um, you know, somebody ends up in jail or somebody gets hurt. And um, the one thing we can say for the program is that they have uh, definitely announced themselves. They're 7-0, and 4-0 in conference, and they are announcing themselves as – not only being a national contender, but for but to lock up the state, right? And Michigan, I'm sure they're looking ahead to that game, right? So what they need to do is take care of business. They need to come out, execute against Northwestern, um, get ahead, get some players some reps. And I think, um, you know, I, I would really rather be Michigan right now playing the week before heading up to East Lansing. Um, so they're going to get that opportunity, and this will be their opportunity to show that they are a different team, that they can get things done and use this as a tune-up. And again, prior to the season, you know, uh, Pat Fitzgerald is a great coach. Northwestern is usually a tough game no matter what. You know, you need to take this possibly easier game, um, you know, and, and, and pocket it and prepare for the rest of the games and specifically for that Michigan state game. So um, definitely going to, you know, excited to get back to the stadium and excited to um, see what potentially could be, you know, uh, um, an amazing game, an amazing clash with the Spartans. And hopefully Michigan is on track to reassert themselves, not only in the state, but, but nationally. And, you know, one of the things, you know, if you listen to um, talk radio in the Detroit area, um, there's a lot of talk about, a lot of discussion about how Michigan doesn't respect Michigan State. And one thing I heard on the radio as well, until Michigan realizes that beating Michigan State is as important as beating Ohio State, they're never going to be, they're not, not going to get back on top in the series. And you know, I, I struggle with that because you want to respect every opponent. But, um, you know, it's going to be Michigan and Ohio State. And not that losing to Michigan State hurts, but, you, you know, you have to beat Michigan State. You just have to do that. And I think that Michigan has not been real successful in the last 10 or 15 years. But they need to get past that to get on to bigger things. And I think this is a good year. And, you know, we're going to have to see if they can do it. Um, I think nationally, 
Um, Michigan and Michigan State are kind of mirror images of each other. I think nationally, I th- I think um, many people think they're both mirages, and it will be an opportunity for Michigan to show that they are rising again and should be in the national conversation, and and also an opportunity for Michigan State to show that uh, you know in the new coaching staff they are. So again, lots of lots going to be on the line the next several weeks. Yeah, I think you know Mike Hart was uh, was available for the media today, and I think you know a lot of people wanted to hear what uh, what he was going to put out there into the uh, into the ether, and uh, they asked him about the uh, the size and, and the impact of that rivalry game next week against Michigan State. He says, "Tell you what, that game means a whole lot less if we don't take care of business against Northwestern." So it was it was exactly the right answer, you know. That, that I wanted to hear, and I think that that's the best way to approach it is the, the, the best way right now f- to be prepared for the Michigan State game is to put your best foot forward in this Northwestern game and, and execute in all three phases and, uh, and, and take care of that business first and foremost. All right. Well, that's going to do it for this edition of the UMGoBlue.com podcast. This is Phil Callahan along with Clint Derringer. Go Blue. Thank you for listening to the UMGoBlue.com podcast. All rights reserved. Search for UMGoBlue.com on iTunes. Go Blue.